because I don't hear no music. Well, we're not recording yet, so you just got to remember, it's a family-friendly <laughs> show. Okay? Yeah. I know. You're on the time schedule here. So No, I'm not. I'm not. All right. I'm not. You ready? Hey guys, we're back this week with another awesome episode of the Hustle and Grind podcast. My name is Jason Hartwell from JK Blades. I'm here in the studio this week again with Ryan from Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works. Got it right? Hello. And we got a special guest in here with us this week. I'm kind of nervous, but I'm excited because we don't know what's going to happen. Chris Magnus from Timber Tiger Forge is here with us today. The Tiger King. The Tiger King. <laughs> All right, Chris, now you can go. We're recording now. You already fucked up, Jason. Invited me on your podcast. So. <laughs> I hold no responsibility for the repercussions of this recording. This is on it, your lap. Well, it's I'm, my fault. It was a surprise to Jason, too. You know, I'm, you know, FCC comes down on you. you know, you'll have to get Howard Stern's lawyer or something because it's going to be expensive by <laughs> the time this is over. Yeah, Ryan booked this one, and he, he said, I got a guest for Sunday. I said, who we got? And he started sending me all these memes of, like, just, you know, weird, excited people and stuff. And I'm like, oh, damn, who's it going to be? And he sent me a picture of the Tiger King. And immediately I was like, Timber Tiger. I knew exactly <laughs> who was going to be on when I got that meme. I could have swore it had been a bunch of short bus memes with a half pack of crayons. There's a few uh, of those. It was a crazy guy, and then it was uh, Tiger King going, listen, motherfucker. <laughs> so how's everybody that doing? Good, that was a good fucking show. Did you ever watch that shit, Jason? I did. I, I liked that first season. I watched it oh, yeah. and hated it, but I got to the point where I couldn't stop watching it. You know what I mean? So I finished it, but uh, I, I wasn't a fan of that guy. Every day we watched it, I was like, what a fucking <sighs> idiot. No way, man. You can't help but admire the guy. I mean, he's just like living life. <laughs> he's like, Dude, that, I want to do I want to do meth and fuck straight dudes and live with tigers. And he was he doing had, it. Yeah. He had some fucking balls. That guy was carrying around his balls in the fucking wheelbarrow. I don't like the way he treated the animals and shit. You know, I got a soft spot for animals and everything, but absolutely you know, that kind of a dumpster fire reality TV where it's, you know, it's real. You know, and then him turning straight dudes and smoking crystal meth and people getting their arms ripped off. And I mean, dude, it, <laughs> like I said, it's dumpster fire. You can't not watch it. But yeah, that was that was a, a weird time. That was a weird show. And then when it was going down during the pandemic and everything, it just felt like the simula, you know, fucking like broken simulation. You know, something happened in the fucking the coding of the simulation we're in and it just went off the fucking rails and came back since. So I don't know what the fuck's going on. The thing I loved about that show is that he had his own show that he made that nobody watched. That was basically just him shitting on Carol Baskin. Oh, it was like, yeah, it was like Alex Jones that nobody fucking watched on the YouTube. Meanwhile, it was there underneath all our noses and we never even seen it. You know, we'd all been glued to it if we'd have known about it mm -hmm. in real time. Yeah, that was. I would have to say that was one of those ones I watched because of the popularity. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Pump the brakes. Oh, hell. First of all, I didn't name my fucking forge in my Instagram after the Tiger King. All right? <laughs> <laughs> out of the fucking way before that's what you got. You know, anybody gets the wrong idea. Okay, Chris. 
know, t- timber tiger, uh, what a timber tiger is over here in the mountains in the West Coast is just a gray tree squirrel. We got these great big tree squirrels. They're just gray, fluffy tree squirrels, huge motherfuckers. I mean, you, you shoot one, it's dinner. And that's what we call timber tigers out here in the woods is a is a big gray tree squirrel. So that's what the timber tiger is, just a big squirrel. It ain't got nothing to do with fucking Joe Exotic. <laughs> get that out of the way. That, you know, that's the last thing I want to start the goddamn episode off with. <laughs> fucking tiger king and then timber tiger. Now everybody's fucking, hey, Magnus Exotic, you know. You get your ass blocked. Okay, squirrel. Um that's a good name for him. I'll call you Squirrel now. I like that. I came up with it. It's my fault. All right, he'll, you, all right, you can blame me. Oh, but yeah. it's just it, it's because Joe Exotic is like he's he'll fucking say whatever comes to his head. You know what I mean? And you're the same way. We're not. I am definitely not saying that you like to turn straight dudes gay and smoke crystal meth. I'm not saying that. I want to go on the record that I love you, and that that's not what. It is. It's uh, it's the intensity. Man, I mean, someone's, you were, get a hold, someone's gonna get a hold of this and edit the fuck out of it. No, nobody's <laughs> gonna have it but me, and I don't know how to edit, so you're safe. No. All four of our listeners don't know how to edit too, so that's all good. Yeah, that's all good. So what's been going on? What's up? It's hot there. I'm sure it's even hot up in Maine by now. Yeah, it was like 86 today. It's nice. I like it. Yeah, it's getting up there. Yeah, the damn mosquitoes are back with a vengeance. The swamp birds is what we call them. But uh, temperature-wise, it hasn't been bad. It's been low 90s, so it's been pretty good. That's what it's been here. Speaking of mosquitoes, you see that video on YouTube that was going around of them making burgers out of mosquitoes? No. They were – they take – take a basket and they'd swing it in the air and there was so many mosquitoes in the air that they could catch enough to make burgers. So they'd smash them into a patty and cook them and eat them. Oh my God. That's like a blood burger, dude. Oh dude, I would puke. I, you uh, definitely probably want that well done. Yeah. No, you just don't want that period. That's not the even other how you cook it, Ryan. This, this wasn't in Ohio though. This was like, you know, like they didn't have shoes on type place. Like the Amazon or something, probably. Yeah. Eh, well, they're still not right. They were all wearing like t shirts of like teams that lost the Super Bowl and they had to get rid of all the merchandise they made for Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just sent it over. Like there. the C- the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and fucking whatever year it was, T shirts when they lost. Yeah. <sighs> Joe Malaria's barbecue. Joe Malaria's Joe Malaria. There you go. That's a good name. That's a good band name. Joe Malaria. Yeah. Well, Timber, I'm uh I'm scrolling through your Instagram right now, just kind of checking out what you've been up to because I've been kind of out of the loop as far as scrolling through and keeping up with everybody. And it looks like your Damascus has picked up dramatically here recently. I'm seeing some yeah, mosaic I'm, stuff that is beautiful, dude. Yeah, I'm trying. You know, it's difficult. I, uh, you know, this winter I dedicated was to to learning how to make mosaic, get some crushed W patterns together. I got a new bandsaw to cut my tiles and stuff, and um, you know, I I 
last summer's plan was the winter that just went by. Normally I'm out fighting fire, wildfire all summer long. And I just dream about what I'm going to be doing all winter in my forge. And I spent all, you know, three months out on fires away from home, sketching in books and going over patterns in my head and staying awake at night, trying to figure out how to do this mosaic uh, pattern, watching YouTube videos. There's nobody around here to get classes from or learn anything from. So it took me three winters just to be able to forge weld, you know, two and a half winters of forge weld failures not been able to get anything to stick. And then by halfway through the third winter, started getting some percentages of sticks. You know, and that was about three years ago. And then uh, once I started getting it up to stick and being able to just rake regular Damascus, did that for a while. And then last winter, uh, de- dedicated that to learning how to make mosaic Damascus and uh, did that this winter. And then I'm not fighting fire this summer. So um, I have some more time to work in my shop, but it gets so hot here and the humidity gets so low that once it goes to level three, level four fire season, it's in the hundreds. The humidity is too low. I'll burn my shop down. You know, I'll be shutting everything down until this fall. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So you drive a log truck in the wintertime and fight fires I, in the summertime. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. I, I drive log truck in the summer too. Like I'm not fighting fire this summer. I did it for 10 years straight. Wild, wildland fire for the same company I logged for. But I'm taking this summer off. I spent the last 10 years summers away from home on wildfires. So this summer I've turned 40 and I'm going to just haul logs and not go out on fires until it hits level four. And then I'll be able to collect that employment, work in my shop, hang out at the river until uh, level four peels back. Once it hits level four fire season, we can't log. We shut everything down. Oh, you can't damn. go out in the woods. And even your pickup, you can't go out in the woods. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. I guess because hot exhaust or whatever will light up the leaves. This, anything. I mean, yeah, at level three, you got to have like a shovel and an axe and a fire extinguisher or five gallons of water and fire tools, even just to be out in the woods in your pickup. Now, when level four goes, you can't be out there unless, you know, you work for the government or you're a landowner, a timber landowner or whatever, and you get all the proper fire gear and stuff. And, you know, you can't even go driving around the woods. Damn. Well, that sucks. I remember fire season when i was on the west coast and it was nuts yeah. coming from here where like i mean yeah we have smoky the bear signs but i can't <laughs> remember the last time we had a bad wildfire in maine yeah like ben on uh uh you know the work for it podcast he used to work for the forest service i think he did logistics and stuff for the forest service and figured out where to send either supplies or, or people, crews and stuff like that, and assets. I, he did something like that, if I remember right, for the Forest Service. But I fight fire for the Forest Service as a private contractor. So he would, you know, I even though he was way back east, or, or he's in Boise, I guess, but or back east when he was doing that, I'd be out on fires, and he was more than likely, he was directing some of the supplies and things or the crews or people or whatever was coming to our fire camps because they were – U.S. Forest Service, you know, federal government fire camps that I was working for. And Ben Butler had, you know, that was one of his job. I, don't, I can't remember if he still does it, but he used to do that kind of stuff. That's super cool. Yeah. yeah this year I'm taking it off. Going to take a break. Does it pay well? Um, I get paid by my, by the comp- private company I work for. So they pay me the same rate as uh, hauling logs per hour. And then you get 50 bucks a day per diem. But we're working 16-hour days, and then I'm out for, like, 10 to 12 days at a time and then two days off. So you get, you're getting tons of overtime. You're getting a hundred and something hours of overtime and, you know, 80, 80, whatever, 85 hours of uh, straight time per, 
two week paycheck, you know, take home double, like three grand, 3,500 bucks every two weeks after taxes. And then the 50 bucks a night, that's 750 bucks, you know, every two weeks or whatever. That ain't um, bad at all. Per no. DM tax free. And then you start getting fringe benefit checks from the government after a couple of weeks. So it turns out pretty good. It's, it's, you know, it's worth the time. Putting your life on the line. They ought to compensate you pretty well. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I've That's been a burned over. Job. Yeah. I've been burned over twice where we were huddled up against a cut bank one time, like a 60 foot high cut bank and the fire was crown fire. We we're in Eastern Oregon, uh, Watson Creek fire out of Paisley. And, uh, we were up on a road and we, the fire was burning. The wind was blowing towards us and the fire was burning a crown fire, which is up in the canopy and it does big runs, you know, moves really fast, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour, even faster than that. Sometimes burn through the canopy and wind driven fire. And we were holding this road was a big contingency line. And I got a big water tanker, 3,500 gallon water tanker with cannons on all corners. And then one on top with a turret that could spin 360 degrees with a joystick inside. And I supply water to all the engines crews that do hose lays and mop up. And we were getting spot fires from the wind blowing that crown fire over the road, which is our contingency line. So we got this report, a bunch of spot fires, went over to those spot fires. Crews went down there, they're running line. And then I'm giving them water so they can go down there and scratch line around it with their plaskies and stuff and then spray water on it to stop all these spot fires. And they just keep getting more and more and more and more. And the fire is just roaring towards us, you know. However fast it was going, sounded like a freight train. And finally, it was coming to us, and it had burned across the road uh, about a half a mile down from which was our escape route. So we couldn't go that way. And then the road dented into the other way. So we were next to the 60 foot cut bank. We had to huddle all the trucks and engines and everything right up against the cut bank. And the fire got to us and burned in the canopy and did like a big, you know, circle wave motion over the top of us. And we all had to huddle on our rigs. And uh, all where the other side of the road, we were trying to put those spot fires out, just that lit that whole canopy on fire and it just kept running and it ran right over the top of us. And we had to sit there and just wait for it to burn the whole canopy out and go across the top of us while we sat in our rigs, you know, and you're just choking on smoke and the air's hot that you can feel the radiant heat from a wildfire through your windows. It feels like you're in a microwave, even though the fires, you know, hundred feet, 150 feet away the flames the radiant heat transfers through the glass like it feels like you're in a microwave you can feel it just burning on you like when you're driving down the highway in the sun you can feel the sun coming through your window on your t-shirt like your black t-shirt gets real hot radiant heat the fire does the same thing so if it gets too close to you you can burn up inside your rig but we had that 60 foot cut bank that we're huddled right up to and then the trees were another 50 60 feet high so the fire's burning 120 feet above us heat rises you know, when it goes and then it spotted, you know, burned right across the top of the road and kept going. And we had to sit there for a while before the our road, our escape route opened up and then we buggied out of there. But I've had a several situations like that over the years. I mean, get pretty spooky. Most of the time you're pretty safe, but every once in a while it gets a little fucked up. Damn, dude, that makes yeah. me feel like a bitch. Right? That's what I'm thinking. Like, this shit is getting intense. Yeah. Well, I'm, people I'm, always, you know, you'll see them and, oh, firefighters, thank you so much. And they just thank you, thank you, thank you. And they bring you lunch and all kinds of stuff. They see you, you know, getting diesel in your truck at night. You know, they'll buy you dinner and all kinds of stuff. And it's like, hey, you know, you don't got, I mean, thank you is great and everything. We appreciate it. You know, we're trying to save the forests and houses and everything and people's property around that. But we are getting paid. You know, we're not out there doing it for free, so it's not like we're saints. I mean, it's dangerous and everything, but we're doing it for money. You know, every single person's out there to cash in and make as much money as they can during the fire season. You know, at the same time, we're trying to put fires out, you know, and do, you know, do the right thing. But, you know, we are getting paid to do it. So it's we're not fucking saints or heroes like everybody thinks. Everybody's getting a paycheck. 
Yeah, well, it's, uh, it still sounds pretty intense. I don't know if I'd get out there. My little brother's a firefighter, and he doesn't anymore. But when he first started, he used to always ask me, why don't you come to the station with me? Like, Dude, I'm not running inside a burning house. Like, it's just not happening. So that's totally different. I There's, you know, local fire departments, rural fire departments. I got a bunch of my friends that I drive log truck with that are on the, you know, the county fire department or whatever, running into houses. Dude, I ain't breathing your burning couch foam. Your couch <laughs> you run, those guys running those burning houses, dude, they're burning couch cushions, putting off fucking toxic fumes and houses and stain and lead-based paint and fucking who knows, I got bullets. Like, I'll be, you know, <laughs> dude, I've been on structure protection, you know, in wildfires. And am I talking too loud? Or no, you're good. You're good. Ears are, okay. So, you know, I've been on structure protection uh, divisions and task forces and stuff on wildfires because the wildfires burn right up to neighborhoods and towns and, you know, and rural neighborhoods out in the woods on the back roads and stuff, you know, get get swallowed up by uh, wildfires and you got to run in there. And, you know, the number one thing is uh, human life and personal property is the first thing that we're, we protect, you know, the, and then the forest second, you know. We, so I've been on those and, you know, you have a trailer, trailer park. 30 miles out of town from redneck shit. Motherfuckers got 30,000 rounds of ammunition in their closet and their single wide 1965 trailer homes burning down like a fucking Christmas tree. And all of a sudden pop, pop, pop. Woo, I mean, you hear shit going off and I mean, you don't know what the fuck. Sometimes you got to run you got to get the fuck away from the, you know, you had hose lays and everything and put up around it, to try and protect it. And the fire comes through and starts to catch on fire and bullets are flying, man. You get fucking, you can't, Fuck it. You got to let the whole place burn. You, even if one trailer is burning and there's bullets going off, you got to get away from the rest of the trailer parks. Fucked. It's going to go too. So you got, I mean, that's care. And then trees, the roots, tree roots burn out. You know, you, the fire's burning. And then the safe is in the black. The safest place to be in a wildfire is where it's already burned. Go to the black where nothing's on fire anymore. Cause it can't reburn, you know, unless it was a dirty burn. It either burned the canopy on a crown fire and there's still fuels on the ground. That's dangerous. Or it did an underburn, a clean burn, burned all the fuels on the ground and the canopy didn't burn. That's still dangerous. But if it burned the, the, the ground and the trees and it's all black, black is a safety zone. You know, you, you can get to the black and be safe. You don't got to worry about getting burned up. But uh, some, and then, yeah, but the root, the, the roots, you know, the the root systems will catch on fire and the roots will burn underneath the trees. So you can be in the black thick and you're safer. You're going back and forth through the black to go get water and come back to the fire line, bring in water in these tankers. And the tree, the root systems on the tree will burn out and they'll fucking just fall. You'll just be driving along and you'll just whoop, boom in front of you. And you're like, oh, fuck, though. You know, the roots all burned out and the thing came down there. It'll be sitting there waiting to do your thing or whatever to get called in. Trees will be just falling down all around you. You never want to get hit by a tree I and mean, crush your cow. You'd be driving along all of a sudden, dink, big ass, you know, four foot round fir tree fall on your cab and you're toast. So there's lots of, lots of risks in it. Even when you think you're in a safety zone, you still get smashed. Damn, dude. I busted my knuckle the other day at work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, dude, so feel like a bitch. Self-inflicted wounds are the worst. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Shit. I didn't realize you had such an insane job. Yeah. And then driving a log truck ain't much safer neither. So Yeah, I thought you just drove a truck up down the highway, dude. Like I'm I'm no, in here for no. story time we're, now. This is getting fun. We're way up in the fucking mountains, dude, where you wouldn't even believe someone could take a commercial motor vehicle. And these aren't regular semi trucks. These are fucking built from the factory to be a log truck. We got interlock, which most semi trucks have, which you know, they got a set of eighteen wheelers got a set of duels on it, right? On the back. Mm-hmm. 
Normally, they're just when you're driving down the pavement, the rear axle's running. That's powering you. The front axle's just rolling. Got an interlock, which puts power to that front axle, so then you're in four-wheel drive. And then I got a full locker for the rear axle, which locks the rear axle solid, like a Detroit locker and a 4 by 4 pickup. Yep. And we got great big log lugger mud tires and uh, traction control where you can turn the brakes off so they don't stop the truck and all kinds of shit. And then we go up in some, you know, you'll go up in the mountains just driving on some normal gravel road. I'm sure you guys have all drove on normal gravel roads, and they get way up in there, and there's switchbacks and all kinds of stuff, and go along the ridge. And then there might be some and dirt spur way up real steep to the yarder. Big yarder is a great big tower with a cable on it. It goes down, and there's a cable that comes from the yarder, and it lowers down chokers for the rig and crew to set, and they pull up and bring the logs up to the landing. And it might be on the top of the knoll so they can reach across the draw to get all the logs. Well, it might just be dirt, no rock on it. They just punch that road in with a cat. So you'll try crawling up, and you'll just spin out, and you can't make it. So you get on the CB, and you call the shovel operator, the guy that loads your truck. It's like an excavator, but it's got a claw on the end to pick up logs. Hey, man, I spun out. Okay, and they'll tell the chaser to go jump in a skitter or a cap, and they'll back down, and you jump out and hook a cable to the front of your log truck, and they'll tow you the rest of the way up. Then turn around, then they'll load you. Then you got to go back down it, skidding, and your tires spinning backwards. And Oh, that was cute. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, get out of there in the wintertime. It's muddy and snow and ice. You know, you're 3,000, 5,000 feet up, you know, a couple feet of snow, icy roads. It gets pretty gnarly logging. It's pretty fun, though. It's exciting. And then we just drive down to town to dump them off at the mill and then turn around and go back up in the woods. Anybody who's uh, never lived out west, when when Chris says switchbacks, those are like the gnarliest S-turn roads up the side of a mountain I've ever been to. Like the ones that I had to drive to get to my house in California, it was like a 200-foot drop off the side of the road, you know. Oh, man, yeah. Sometimes you're on ridges and there's – you know, cliffs 500, 800 feet, you know, straight down in a really hard corner that, you know, you couldn't pull a normal semi-truck around because those big, long 53-foot and 48-foot trailers, the semi-truck trailers, you know, you see on the back says makes wide right turns. When they when they turn, they off-track. The trailer off-track's really bad. Log trucks don't off-track. The harder you turn, the more the trailer follows you. So normally you'll see a picture of a log truck and have the trailer sitting on the back. I'm sure you guys have both seen that. Yeah. So you drive around empty like that, and then when you get up to the landing, you back into the guy that loads you, and he grabs a hold of it, lifts it up in the air, and then you pull out from underneath it. He sets it down, you back up, you hook up to it. Then it's got a reach and a compensator and the bunks where the logs sit in between the bunks. Those bunks are on cup and saucers, and they pivot. And then where the reach of the trailer hooks to the back of the truck, there's a compensator that slides in and out. Now, when you go around a corner, the truck pivots at the tail of the truck and the reach like this and bends and it, it makes the bunks get further apart. So that compensator slides in and out and the bunks turn. So when you go around a corner, the truck goes like this. My wrist is the nose of my truck and this wrist is the back of my trailer. The harder you turn, my nose is facing this way of the truck and the trailer's facing this way. The harder I turn, the more it follows me, but the logs will be all the way on the inside so I can go around a corner so hard if there's a cliff on my left or my right that my whole load is hanging over the cliff, but my trailer's following my truck on the road around it. I mean, it's kind of complicated, and I don't want to get into too much how much a log truck works because I'm not training, but you know, <laughs> I, I can kind of keep up with it. If you going on something, I won't stop. You guys don't have to pump the brakes. Otherwise, I'll just fucking sue. Well, I've been pulling a gooseneck trailer for the past few weeks, and I've noticed how much different that is than just a standard bumper pull. 
it is exactly the more you turn the nose of your truck it puts a kink in it where the trailer is and it follows you around you could be turning one way and the trailer tires are going to be facing the other way following you around a corner yeah that, kind of the same concept yeah it's, it's pretty neat it's it's taking some getting used to but now it's just normal yeah, i mean i've pulled bumper pull trailers big ones forever but oh, yeah. with, with that gooseneck, first time I went to make a right turn, I was like, holy shit, I'm in somebody's yard. I had to <laughs> I had to back it out and go around just a little bit. Dang but, it. But yeah, it's fun. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Axemen. I watch that show on TV. So I can, I'm, I'm relating with you as far as the yarder and the chokers and the, uh-huh. you know all that kind of stuff. But being up in there, it, it looks fun. Yeah, where I live is uh, Douglas County. You know, I sent that to you in one of the emails, and it doesn't much, I mean, a message I sent to you that you read, you know, I'm a log truck driver or motherfucking log truck driver from Douglas County, Oregon. But this is like the timber capital of the West Coast in the United States. We grow trees here faster and bigger and better than anywhere else on the West Coast. There's more mills, more log trucks, more landowners than anywhere in the United States per capita. And it's our main, it's our main uh, industry here in Douglas County. There's logging, it's just loggers, log truck drivers, mill workers, you know, and that's about it other than grocery store clerks and shit. Hmm. Yeah, logging's huge here too in Maine, but the trees we deal with and the trees you deal with are like, uh, so like a big, I'd say a bigger log here is probably 24 inch diameter. And for you guys, that's like medium. Yeah, we we make peelers out of those. They they peel and make veneer, make plywood with that size log. Yeah, we got. Some... We get. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say we can get uh, you know three log loads. You know my truck it's an eighteen wheeler with a drop axle, so it's got twenty tires on the ground, and I uh, you know I'm licensed to haul ninety thousand pounds, but a normal log, load of logs is uh, eighty six thousand pounds, so fifty three thousand pounds with logs. I can get a loads. You know, we used to get them a lot more frequently, but that's just three logs, you know, and that's 53,000 pounds worth of wood on that truck and Good three logs, Lord. two bunk logs and a giant, you know, seven foot round pumpkin on the top, about 30, <laughs> 32 foot long. It's crazy. Yeah. But the first time I saw the Redwoods, I was like, holy fuck. Like, it's humbling, dude. Like, you're around a tree that's over a thousand years old and it's... 12 feet circumference or yeah, diameter, yeah. 12 foot I was, diameter. I was, I was born and raised up in North Idaho, half hour from Canada in the panhandle up Sandpoint, Coeur d'Alene, Priest River area. And uh, started coming down here when I was a kid. My parents got divorced really young anyway, and they kicked me back and forth and stuff. But when I was a teenager living down here, I was real heavy into paintball and I had a pickup and my buddies didn't. So they all jump in the back of my pickup and we all had paintball guns. We'd, drive to the fucking redwoods it's only an hour away from where i grew up in merlin outside of grants pass and we just go to the redwoods in like jeremiah smith state park or something like that and just go for a hike a mile back away from the road you're in the redwoods the trees are 25 30 feet round the ferns are six seven feet tall there's dead um uh, redwood trees lying down that are like 20 30 feet around but they're off the ground so they're like a giant wall you know 40 high feet high you could jump up on the thing and run down it we go paintballing out in the redwoods it was like being in mario land when you're little <laughs> mario 
You know, just it, insane. It really is. It was it's so nuts. much fun. Yeah, just running, booking it around in the redwoods. Everything's supersized with paintball guns trying to hunt each other. It felt like you're in the Predator movies and shit in the jungle. It was so much fun. Yeah, I love that place. I had to pass through Grants Pass to get to where I was. I was in the Arcada, Eureka, McKinleyville area. Yeah, yeah, we get some of our biggest log loads right there out of Hoopa, California, which is just uh, east of Arcata and Humboldt there. It's actually in Humboldt County up the Klamath River, Hoopa yeah. Indian Reservation. We go down there and haul for the Indians, bring all their logs. We drive all the way down there. It's like five and a half hours down there and six and a half hours back loaded, you know, 12, 13-hour day, one load of logs. Now come right back here to this place in town called Herbert's. It's the, like the last old-growth mill around that can take giant, you know, seven foot, eight foot logs around diameter. They're huge. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like, I'll, I'll send you some pictures later, Jason. I have of me when I was younger in California standing. We have one of, we had a Ford Escort wagon and we were driving along, like up through the scenic path in the Redwood oh. Forest. And my wife stopped, my ex-wife stopped in, in front of the tree, and then it was four feet of the tree sticking out on each end of the car. Good Lord. Yeah, I've seen pictures of That's them. I've never massive. been out that way, but I've always heard that you can never understand, like, how big they really are from a picture. You have to get there and look at them. You have to stand at the bottom of one and look up yeah. and be like, what the fuck? Like, the bark's over a foot thick on some of them. Well, you know, you've always seen the so pictures like the of, red. like, the guy up in it that looks like an ant. You know what I mean? But oh, that's just hard to comprehend without seeing it in real life. Dude, they used to – the old-timers cut him down by hand. Yeah. They'd have to climb. They'd have to climb because the butt of the tree is a sw- got a swell to it. You know, the stump comes up like this. It's really fat at the bottom and gets tapers and tapers down to where it's, a, you know – a a, you know, a shaft that's gradual and parallel going up. They had to climb all the way up that swell in the bottom to get to where it's a steady diameter. Then they cut a notch in the side of it and stick a board in there. And then two guys, one guy'd stand on one side with a, on a board and the other. And by the time that that stump swell comes to even, they're 30 feet off the ground standing on these things called springboards. And they'd have to cut it with a misery whip, a handsaw. Trees that are 20, 30 foot in diameter. Yeah, that's... Back in the 1800s, it was was insane. Standing on a two-by-six with an angle cut in the end. Yeah, then they'd have to cut them into lengths and try to get them on skids, have donkeys pull them, or (laughs) get them on a railroad that they, you know, built to pull them out of the mountains. It is insane, some of that shit they did back in the day. But you can still, when we're up in the mountains logging, we're logging like third growth. You know, the old timers got the first growth, second growth. A lot of the stuff we're logging now has already been cut twice, and you can see the remnants of the old timers. You can see the giant stumps with springboard notches in them. You can see the old rail lines and stuff that they had up in the mountains and all kinds of relics and old logging towns. You know, they're just grown in. The the forest is just swallowed up. There's stuff. I do a lot of elk hunting, backcountry elk hunting, and you hike around the wilderness and stuff, and you just run across all kinds of stuff. Old steam donkeys from the early 1800s with steam-powered winches that they used to pull the logs around and logging camps and all kinds of stuff. It's just fucking trippy. How much time do we got? I don't want to make oh, sure we, got time. we hit a few stories before we run. Just talk about logging the whole fucking time. <laughs> we, <laughs> we usually go about an hour. Yeah, we got plenty of time. We're we're about the property I lived on out there. 
I was walking through the woods and I found old stumps and like one of the stumps on that property, you could have put a fucking gazebo on it. Oh, yeah. And just had like a gazebo set up on a log stump. Like, I mean, then it's insane. And if you've never seen it in person, it's hard to really put it into perspective, but it's super humbling. You know, you're out there and like, it's almost like you're in the past, like back when the dinosaurs lived. Cause like Chris said, like six foot tall ferns, you know, it's like fern gully. Like avatar. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oregon. Yeah. I, uh, you know, before I was a log truck driver, I've been driving log truck for 11 years. But before that I drove 48 States. I drove fuel tankers in Portland and, and, uh, I drove for a uh, long haul company here out of Oregon for about six or seven years. And, uh, been all over the country. I'm a truck driver. If you're a truck driver and you got a CDL and a good record, I could live anywhere in the United States. All I got to do is go to your town, pick up a nickel paper, look at the job list. There's going to be 20 or 100, depending on where I want it, you know, what town it is, lot, you know, job, driving jobs. Could live anywhere in the country I want to. I've been all over, drove all 48 states. I've been to Maine, I've been to the Carolinas, Florida, all up and down the East Coast, everywhere in between. I like Southern Oregon's my favorite place to live. It's so beautiful here. The rivers and the lakes and and uh, the mountains, the trees, it's the wildlife. It's just, it's, it's what keeps me here. The politics, on another hand, I don't agree with Oregon's politics, but the land is what, what keeps me here. Yeah, the worst part about California was Californians. Yeah, yeah. But the land itself, I mean, where I lived, I was 10 minutes from the ocean. You could go an hour into the Redwood Forest. You yeah. could drive inland and hit a desert. You know, you could go up on the high mountains and go skiing. It's does everything. Yeah, we spent like our, you know, we go to Crescent City into the Redwoods and the, the uh, you know, we've been to the Trees of Mystery, the gondola and stuff through the Redwoods there and all up and down through there. It's uh, it's nice. We got sand dunes right here in Oregon that are an hour and, uh, hour and 45 minutes from my house. We got dune buggies and four-wheelers and a toy hauler. We go to the sand dunes. We spent Thanksgiving at the sand dunes for the last uh, – 20, 24 years or something. Nice. My whole family from Washington and down here in Oregon, all we all meet at the Oregon Dunes for Thanksgiving. It's a tradition. I never got to play on the dunes, but everybody had dune buggies. Oh, man, it's so much fun. They're so cool. Ryan, how's your uh, the dune buggy talk just, just reminded me? How's your Rubster project coming along? Leaning up against my wall. Yeah? See the body over yeah, there. I see the body. Did you ever get the steering and the pedals and all figured out? Nope. Have you tried, or have we just moved on from that? I switched gears. Okay. I had a I had a fence to put up. Oh yeah, I saw your fence. Good job on that. Looks like your Thanks. dogs liked it. They did. My fucking hands hate me for it. I got like blister scars all over my hands. Oh shit. Well, you saw how rocky the ground is. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you can dig a hole with a shop vac, something weird's going on in the dirt. Yeah. Did you see the pile of rocks out back that he dug out? I saw the one big giant rock. I didn't see a pile. Yeah, that's my new lawn ornament. But he dug out a pile, and it's probably 20 feet long, 8 feet high, just massive boulders, like 2, 3 feet in diameter. Way too big for you to move by hand. Damn. So um, what are you doing with those? A, they're on his property, so that's up to him. Oh, nice. That works out good. Yeah. Yep. Works out, works <laughs> real good for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't have an excavator. Yeah, but yeah. Well, but the property I live on is in like the glacial times, 
was the edge of a riverbank. So like all these huge rocks came down with the glaciers and then it's like real clay and sandy and silty and massive rocks, like rocks, 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 rocks everywhere. Lots of rocks. Yeah. Like that big rock in my yard is probably six or seven feet wide by six feet tall. And, uh, all you could see was like a one foot by one foot square of it sticking out of the ground when he started digging. Oh, damn. So he starts digging and it's just the rock gets bigger and bigger and bigger. There's one out back in the middle of his woods, just sitting in the middle of the woods, no other rocks around it. And it's probably 12 feet tall by 15 feet wide. Those are, uh, what are they called? Gla- uh, glacial eccentric. Yeah. You listen to, I'm sure I, I, I know, I know for a fact, Ryan knows what the fuck all that stuff came from, from listening to Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what um, that is. When the glaciers came through these, I mean the ice. So where my house is during glacial times, the ice was a mile thick. Okay. So there would have been a le- a mile thick layer of ice over where I live right now in the glacial times. And those glaciers moved and they picked up like massive, massive boulders along their tracks. And then occasionally the boulder would just fall off. And that's why out in the middle of a forest in Maine where there's no other rocks around, there's this ginormous boulder. And it's like that all over the state. You see them everywhere. Or you should break it in half. Hit the- a comet hit the ice sheet and all melted and come flooding down, dumps all the dumps <laughs> all the rocks and everything everywhere. Yeah. Dude, you should break that giant rock in half. Have you seen the videos where they uh, drilled a line of holes and then put, like, the rail spikes in them and hit them up and down uh, until it just I, pops in half? Why would I do that? yard ornament. Yeah. Well, no, then you have two of them. I'm going to polish it, and my buddy wants me to put a sword through the top of it. Yeah, like he tells me that. Caliber. You don't have to make Let's the make, top half. F- fuck, fuck it. Jason wants to make gravel out of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could use some of that gravel. You gonna drive up to Maine? I got all the dirt you need. Yeah, well, we got plenty of dirt around here. I got in my shop this week and uh, got a little bit of work done. Finally, not a lot, but a little. But I ran across a problem that I'm not real happy about. Um. So, you know, I made my first set of segmented scales, right? I sent you the picture of those. And um, everything was nice and good. I got the knife exactly how I want it. Got it etched. Everything's ready. Got ready for, you know, getting ready to cut the handle material. I haven't cut into it yet. It's still just scales. They have cupped, like warped. So when you sit them flat against each other like book matched, there's a hollow right in the middle. And they're both, like, evenly cupped. It ain't just one. But they were just fine for two weeks. And I went out there to look at them, and they have cupped up. It's probably the humidity where you live. That's what I'm thinking. But with it being so segmented, I'm scared to, like, clamp it. You know what I mean? I don't want to pop the sections loose. You gotta. I mean, what else you can do? You gonna fucking make a banana? No, I don't know. That's what I'm... Make a belly on the handle so it matches it? I think I'm gonna have to... I guess wet them down. Well, there's file work on the on the knife all the way around, so that'd fuck my file work all up. And then the lines in the scales would be still like you know, yeah, like a vagina, like a vagina, exactly, like a cooter, a vagine, a super cooter. 
sausage wallet signature <laughs> handle. Oh my god, I used to know a girl whose nickname was Super Cooter. Oh goodness. Yeah, it was Naked Time Super Cooter because if she got even the smallest amount of alcohol in her, she would get fully naked. Didn't matter how many people were in the room. She went to Wendy's naked one time through the drive-thru. Just, I'm hungry. Was this a fat girl? Nope, she was not. Hmm. Was she hot? <laughs> she was doable. <laughs> that might be why she what, kept what, getting naked. What's this text here on the screen? Is that you asking Ryan for her phone number, Jason? That, yep, exactly. Is that what I'm reading on the screen you're typing? Yeah, it's in the chat box right there to the right. Uh, she's retired from her wild days now. Yeah. We were teenagers at the time, and then she went into the Marine Corps, and she did not come out of the Marine Corps as naked time anymore. Oh, yeah, that's toughen you right up. Yeah, she hates when people bring it up, but she don't listen to this shit, so. Yeah, nobody does. It's fine. Yeah, who cares? We do have a few listeners, though. Some of them are uh, members of an elite club, and Timber, you're not. Yeah, you are. No, you're not. You're not in the club, but it's okay. No, I'm not. I'm not on the Patreon. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and run through that real quick. Well, hey. And uh, give a shout-out to all of We got something fun scheduled for next week, something I, we're going to start. Hold on. I, I am on the Patreon just in another fucking way. I sent you Steel and Ryan Steel. <laughs> I sent you guys shit just because I'm not sending you cash. Well, that's, that's all right. True. We still appreciate everyone the same. So we got something fun we're going to start doing with this next week, Ryan. What I was telling you about the other day, I'm going to – do a few tweaks to it, but the the Patreon list is going to get fun next week. But cool. uh, starting at the bottom, Donnie Dulovich. The bottom of the list, not the bottom of the pile, because everybody's cool. Donnie Dulovich, KnifeMaterial.at, Aru Blade Works, Brigham Kendall, Mark LeBlanc, Mark Vanderwerf, Bex Armory, Todd Harrington, Dennis Tyrell, Charles Claire Custom Cutlery, Zachary Sowell, Maritime Knife Supply, Driver Defense Knives, Noah Bloomberg, Crafty Man Forge, Brian Henningkamp, Echo Blades, Eric Andrews, Bremner Built Knives, and Snake Branch Knife Works. Thank you guys for all of your support and sending us a couple bucks once a month. Helps to offset this studio cost. Woo woo. Yeah. But uh, speaking of one of our Patreons, Dustin Driver, Driver Defense Knives, he sent me some beef jerky. Remember we had the the conversation about the beef jerky taste off up there at the Blade Show in Atlanta? Yeah. He uh he makes jerky. And guys, he does not sell it because that would be illegal to sell things, you know, without FDA inspections. But I bet if you messaged him and like covered shipping and gave him a tip, he'd probably hook you up. But uh, he he makes some real good jerky. It was good. He sent me three different flavors. But it was it was great. So if you're a jerky kind of dude, hit him up. I love jerky. I'm wearing a driver defense hat right now. I was, shit, I changed my shirt before I go here. I had on a, a driver defense shirt before I left the shop today. So before we run out of time, you know, uh, I'd like to say a couple things. If it starts getting close, I had a couple things I wanted to cover, but. No, we're not right on now. a limit. We just got to kind of, you know, we're not going three hours. This ain't the forward side chat. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I'm feeling you. Or the Joe Rogan experience. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I was going to bring up how I got started, and then I wanted to shout, like, one or two guys out just for helping me out pretty big, so. Do it up, bro. So, um, I started forging 
when I was uh, seven or eight years old, somewhere right in there. Uh, yeah, it was middle of winter time. We're living up a short story long. We're living up North Idaho. Parents are divorced, just me and my dad. We're sitting there watching, you know, a lot of people started forging because of forging fire or whatever. I started forging because an old TV show and movies from the 80s and 90s called Highlander. Me and my dad, you know, single dad, and just me, no other brothers or sisters, nothing. Well, we used to watch Highlander constantly. All the movies, the TV shows, just different iterations or whatever. I watched that guy making his own sword. My dad owned a body shop. I grew up doing body work. And he had, since before I was born, he had a body shop. I always was around a body shop. Lots of hammers, lots of steel, all kinds of stuff. So anyway, we got this great big wood stove in the house. Giant takes like a two and a half, almost three foot piece of firewood. You get this thing glowing red and just going, pop, 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 pop. You know, there's five, six feet of snow out in the wintertime. It's negative 20 plus degrees out up in there by Panhandle in North Idaho. And it's late. It's like seven, eight o'clock at night. One night, my dad's drinking beer. We're watching Highlander and I seen him making this sword and I'm like, fuck, I want to make a sword. So I was looking at the wood stove and I could see the coals through the vents. So I put my snowsuit on and my gloves and my hat and I grab a flashlight and I just run out the door. My dad's like, what the hell is he doing? Run out to the scrap pile behind my dad's uh, body shop, dig a few feet through the snow until I get to the steel. And I got my head in the, in the scrap pile with my feet sticking out of this snow hole and a flashlight trying to find a piece of metal in the scrap pile to make a sword out of. Digging through there for a while. Found a really nice, shiny, just shiny. Everything else was rusty. Find this shiny piece of metal. Inch and a half wide, two feet long, quarter inch thick, perfectly straight. I'm like, fucking beautiful. Run back inside, freezing my ass off. Look over at my dad. He looks at me. He's got a beer in his hand. I stick it in the wood stove through the vent. And I already had a hammer out there on the porch from the buy shop. He looks at me, and I look at him, and he just looks back at the TV. So I'm like, cool, I'm good. <laughs> Safe. I'm like seven or eight at the time, right? So I'm looking in, I'm on my hands and knees, looking inside the wood stove. I get that piece of metal glowing red hot. I pull it out, take off running out the fucking front door, slam the door, get down on the concrete, hit it about three or four times with the hammer, and all of a sudden the thing's, it's not glowing in the red no more because it's so cold outside and whatever kind of metal it is. It's cooled off, bang, just like that. So I run back inside. Look at him again. He looks at me. I stick it back in the wood stove. He doesn't say nothing. Looks back at TV. I'm like, I got this. We're making a sword tonight. So I run back out there. And I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just hitting a piece of metal. I don't even know what kind of metal it is. I do that like four or five times. Well, it's cooling off so fast. I started getting really pissed. So I left it in there extra long the sixth time or seventh time, whatever it was. Get the thing just screaming hot. And I pull it out, turn around to run to the door, and it just crumbles onto the carpet, lights the carpet on fire. So I'm standing there and the carpet's on fire and I don't, I just freeze. I'm a kid. I don't know too. My dad jumps up. What the fuck comes running over, shoves me down, dumps his beer on the fire on the burning carpet, stomps it out. And then he grabs me with one hand on my shoulder and picks me up off the ground. This is how I used to beat my ass when I got in trouble. He just grabbed me by one shoulder with one hand, lift me off the ground and beat my ass with his other hand and I'd always swing my free hand back there to block it and he'd hit my hand and ah, I'd be looking at my hand and he'd just keep beating me you know spanking me for about burning the house down and then so I went to my room and cried the rest of the night then about two days later he called me out to the body shop and he set me up in the corner of the body shop a little steel table with a piece of railroad track on a chunk of firewood and then he c-clamped uh, his cutting torch with a rosebud on it to the table and he got me some pieces of steel and some hammers and he showed me how to operate the cutting torch to get that rosebud 
and he showed me how to get a piece of steel hot and run the thing and forge. And so I started making some knives and some throwing stars and all, he taught me how to use the, the MIG welder and all kinds of stuff. So I was MIG welding together, saw teeth and making knives and all kinds of stuff. I started when I was a little kid, did it all through my teens and stuff like that. And then when I turned 18, my dad gave me my anvil, which is a Peter Wright anvil. 130 something pound anvil from England, you know, way back in the day. And I still got that and through the years I've lived in city and apartments and stuff where I couldn't do it and have my own place where I could and off and on and off and on until just about four or five years ago when we moved in this place, I was able to set up my shop and really get going. And I've been getting after as hard as I can for the past five years trying to make Damascus and knives. And I'd rather make Damascus than knives. I can make knives. I've been making knives for a really long time. I'd like to just make Damascus for other knife makers that don't make Damascus or I can make it cheaper than they can make it or don't have the time. Like this winter, I sent out a ton of steel. I used, spent all my extra money, made as much Damascus as I could, sent it out to a bunch of knife makers in the community, free of charge saying, hey, you take this steel, make some knives out of it, sell them, and then when you sell them, we both can get paid. Well, I was hoping people that I sent it to were going to make something out of it within a month or two. And send me some money so I could keep forging the rest of the winter. Well, it turns out not a single person this winter has made a knife and sold it. So I've been just run out of funds. They spent all my extra money. And everybody's just sleeping on it. One person's made a couple knives, and they're working on almost getting them finished. But it's been six, seven months. Some of the guys have had it for close to a year. And on, so I'm just out of funds. And then so now I'd still like to do the same thing. I make enough steel a month for two or three knife makers to get, like, two or three pieces of Damascus from me a month. If I'll send it to them, if you're interested, hit me up, whoever's listening, I'll send it to you. If you promise to make a knife and try and sell it within 30 days. How thick will it be? However thick you want it. If you want stock removal, I got dies. I got a 25 ton press. I built myself. I'd make all my own dies. I could, whatever dimensions you want. If you want a specific kind of Damascus, tell me specific dimensions, Whatever you want, I'll make it. I'll send it to you. But it, I can't be sending steel out to people. They're sitting on it for six, seven months at a time, and I got nothing coming back. I mean, like, you know, I, I blew my whole wad and all my savings and everything I had on steel uh, to send out this winter, and I haven't got anything back. So I'm just kind of making scrap Damascus. I got tons of saw blades and all kinds of powdered steel, and I've been ordering a few pieces of 15 and 20 here and there. When I make a couple of bucks on the side, you know, I make fire pokers and barbecue forks and stuff, and I sell them at the local hardware store, and I get some money like that. I'll buy some F15 and 20, and I'll combine it with some saw blades and stuff, and I'll make some twisted Damascus or whatever and try and sell it. And, but, uh, you know, if somebody's interested in a couple pieces a month, you know, or if somebody wants to nut up and just say, I'll take everything you make, then fine. Or not, or I'll just keep trying to sell it. You know, I'm not trying to pressure saying anybody needs to do anything, but I'm throwing it out there. You know, if somebody's interested, I'll send it to you if you'll jump right on it. Otherwise, I'm just blowing my wad and I got nothing coming in. I'm out of belt. You know, I'm recycling old 36 grit belts that barely grind, you know, to try to finish making the rest of the supply I got in my shop or fabbing together scraps. And that's where I'm at with my shop. And then I wanted to give a couple of shout outs. There's a guy named Tim Moyer who lives here locally. Good buddy. He's a knife maker. He's a guy on Instagram and Facebook, Iron Thistle Knives. He, I was working everything on a 2 by 42 grinder, you know, for years. And he had a homemade 2 by 72 and he bought a brand new 2 by 72 So he flat gave me his homemade 
two by 72 grinder. And the thing works great and it's amazing. And he's helped me out with a lot of, uh, uh, grinding bevels and all kinds of finish work, hand sanding and etching and stuff like that. He showed me a bunch of things. His name, Tim Moyer, iron thistle knives, check him out. Great guy. Also, I want to thank Brian house of the work for it podcast and house made products. He does all kinds of stuff on his show and he talks about all kinds of things, but you know what? There's people in this industry that do things behind the scenes, and I'm not going to say exactly what went down and all that stuff, but thank you, Brian House. You're the man. I love you. Uh, that guy is amazing. He don't even know me. I've never even talked to him in person, but he hooked me up. That I'm not that I'm not going to say what he did because he don't want to work. You know, he don't want to get blown up and bugged. I don't want to cause him a headache. But that guy's fucking amazing. He's a bad motherfucker. We love, love Brian him. House. I love that guy to death. Even though I've never even talked to him, I listen to you guys hustle and grind and the work for it podcast and all this other stuff in my log truck. I got a Bluetooth stereo. You guys are in my cab with me every single week. I fucking look forward to listening to the Hustle Grind podcast and work for it and a bunch of other ones. You guys are my imaginary friends and the speaker of my fucking <laughs> truck. While I'm out there cruising around in the fucking woods, you guys are right there with me. You keep me sane. I fucking love it. You guys' podcast, you know, I, I just dig the shit out of you guys. And it's feel like I've known all you for years and years and years because I listen to you every week, you know. But, but meanwhile, I'm just out here in Oregon gone and, you know, not very many people know me. I don't have a very big presence online. So, um, we know you love, yeah, love everybody in the community, you know, everybody on Instagram and everybody, you guys know Tyrell knife works and flying shark and, you know, everybody Brigham Kendall and, you know, too many to list you guys. It's all feel like everybody's my friends, even though I've never talked to half of them. I hear everybody and I see your work on Instagram and uh, I just love the community. I love being part of it. And, you know, even if I don't even sell a fucking thing, I'll just keep burning all my extra money and, and making Damascus and uh, piling it up and sending it out. And there's another guy named George. I don't know how to say his last name in Panama. He's a famous cook down there, a chef. He's bought a bunch of stuff from me, a bunch of pieces of steel from me. He's fucking amazing too. You guys are great. But uh, I had a ton of stories and shit. I know you guys' podcast only an hour long. But uh, maybe another time I got stories, dude. I got stuck in a flood one time in Chehalis, Washington, in my semi truck. I had to get rescued by a Coast Guard helicopter. Went to Eastern Oregon one time with my boss. He shot himself with my gun. And then when we got back to work, he told everybody I shot him. <laughs> uh, dude, I got stories. I got my buddy, John. He's got a race boat. We took it and crashed it in the lake when it was snowing and fucking. I mean, I got, I got stories and stories and stories I could blow your, blow your doors off with for, for tons of episodes. So maybe sometime down the road, I'll come on again. Yeah. We'll have to get you back on time. before eventually for sure i mean you've already done like your grammy acceptance speech with all your thank yous and shout outs so you know yeah i'm done i'm done with everything i needed to say okay so. all right let me <laughs> let me ask you this out. though let me ask you this so what do you charge for a billet of damascus so that everybody listening knows because Dude, when you I go online sent- shopping for that shit it's scary yeah so, so what i what i've been doing all winter Every single person that I sent steel out to this winter that's still sleeping on it like a fuck. I didn't know Damascus made a fucking good pillow, but Jesus Christ, you must my people must sleep like fucking babies on that shit. I'm sorry, I'm sent, sorry. Sent, yeah, no, me too, right, man. Shit, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> but what I've been doing is I fucking I'll send it to you, make a knife out of it, sell it, send me what you think it's worth. Okay, but that's not working for you. So if you were to sell. A billet of your Damascus, which is worth selling. I'm gonna like it's good stuff. How much would you charge for it? 
Well, it depends what it is. I mean, if it's like a twisted Sandmeyer, if it's just a regular fucking bar of Damascus, you know, I, I make a lot of canister Damascus out of chainsaw chain and other shit and ball bearings, that canister stuff, you know, a big can, a two and a half inch square can, four inches long, makes a pretty big fucking billet of steel. Um, you know, and if it's canister, I charge like, you know, hundred bucks. If it's 10, if it's 15 and 20 and 80 CRV2, which I'm trying to, I, he was making 15 and 20 and 1095 Damascus, but I switched to 80 CRV2. It's a lot better steel than the 10 series stuff. And I want to put a high quality product out there for people. And I want them to want it. I want them to think it's, you know, nice. It's high end. It's good stuff. You know, a, a, a 12 inch bar, inch and a half wide of, of say, we'll just call it, you know, 40, 45, 50 layer, 80 CRV2 and 15 and 20 Damascus, you know, 125 bucks or something like that. Or, and if you want twisted sand mice, you know, 150 bucks, you know, 12 inch piece or 14 inch piece, inch and a half wide, whatever it turns out to be. I mean, I'll start a big billet and I'll forge it out and you got to grind it and stack it and cut it and fuck with it. And you lose some steel here and there, and there might be a D lamb on the edge. I'm going to grind it out. Whatever's left. I'll send it to you either in forging stock, however thick you want it, you know? And if you want me to press in a fucking, you know, make it a two inch belly, two inch wide, and then press in a, a handle for you for the kitchen knife with my forge. So you don't got to fucking cut it out with your bandsaw or whatever. I'll do it. Whatever you want, you know, 150 bucks and less for billets, things like that. Unless there's a lot of work goes into, you want something really special, you know? Let me figure out the supplies, but I'm trying to give it away just to cover the cost of the steel and the belts and the propane. And I ain't even charging for my time. I just want to recoup and be able to buy more steel and more belts so I can keep making it and keep sending it out. That's cheap as fuck. So everybody yeah. listening, if you're out there looking for Damascus billets, you're overlooking Timber Tiger Forge because he's putting them out cheaper than anybody. So. What, what kind of belts are you using to clean up those billets? Dude, I like I like VSM and stuff. I order from Phoenix all the time. I order my steel from Maritime. Um, you know, exclusively now. I used to get it from Jantz and Texas Ferris Supply and stuff. I buy everything from Lawrence now as far as steel. I buy my belts from Phoenix whenever they got sales on. I buy Combat every once in a while. But Combat, you know, I really like their belts, but their shipping is fucking horrible. It takes forever to get to me sometimes. I agree. And Phoenix, Phoenix abrasives, man. That shit comes in like four days from, I think they're on the East Coast. And I'm in Oregon. It comes quick. Little unmarked box. They don't mess around with shipping or nothing or, you know, fancy shipping. They just get it a box and get it to you. I love that. Yep. And Lawrence yep. Lake at Maritime, the guy's awesome. I ordered some uh, ADCR V2 and 15N20 from him a couple weeks ago. He cut it into four-inch pieces for me, sent it to me with a koozie and a sticker. It was awesome. It was only like a $70 order, you know. We love Lawrence. A sticker. So, yeah, we wish did. that he would sponsor the podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he would. <clears throat> Lawrence. Right. <laughs> Hey, motherfucker. <laughs> We're like the only ones. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. We can be the outcast. All right, Chris. Well, thanks for coming on here with us, man. It's been fun. Appreciate you having me, guys. Thanks, everybody out there in Instagram land, too. You guys are awesome. And by the way, your audio quality is really good. Like, Dude, my really stepson, good. yeah, my stepson's a, a computer whiz, and I just got lucky that, uh, he had it all set up here in my upstairs, and I was able to use, you know, crazy boom mic and giant monitor camera. Yeah, that's yeah, like crazy. The, you have a 40-year-old stepson. <laughs> like I said earlier, he's a you know, stepson slash dad. You know, I mean, it's how we roll down here in Southern Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> all 
All right, guys, we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for listening. And for real, everybody go say uh, say hey to Timber Tiger and order some Damascus from him. That was fun. Oh, yeah.